Amen. Please be seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to Galatians. We'll look at chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, and the text is printed in the bulletin also for you. If you need a Bible, there are some on the back table. Galatians 5. Um, So this is our last Sunday now in a seven-week series on the Holy Spirit uh, that I have enjoyed. Um, Might be the only one, I don't know, but I've enjoyed it. Uh, It's my last Sunday before sabbatical. I'm happy that this is the last one. This is um, uh, exciting for me that this particular sermon on the fruit of the Spirit um, is the one that I get to leave you with for the summer. It's, it's something of a sermon on holiness. That word doesn't necessarily appear in our text, but <clears throat> it's, it's a sermon about holiness, on true holiness. True holiness. Holiness as it is meant to be, as we're meant to understand it, as defined by God himself, holiness that characterizes God himself, uh, the kind of holiness we're really supposed to participate in, God's own holiness, and, and it's what we really mean when we say the Holy Spirit. Um, this is what characterizes God's own holiness. It's really tempting to think that holiness as a, as a term, as a topic, an idea, um, an aspect of our religion, it's, it's really tempting to think that it means something like strict virtue, right? something abstract, Strict virtue, that, that God is characterized by sort of a sterilized purity, right? um, very sanitized, and that the Holy Spirit means something like the 100% moral spirit or the Clorox clean spirit, right? Uh, it's tempting to think that way, but those are rather impersonal, non-relational views of holiness, aren't they? Um, Thankfully, it's not biblical to think about holiness that way. It's not really how God is or what he wants. God's holiness is characterized by what is called here the fruit of the Spirit. We find in our passage, we'll read in a minute, if you can bring yourself to believe it, that God's God's holiness is characterized by these things, that it means that his holiness is happy. His holiness is happy, that laughter rings throughout eternity. If God's holiness really is characterized by what the fruit of the Spirit here, and that, this is the holiness that we're to participate in, it means that joy is the most serious thing in all reality. It's the thing that we take most seriously. Not only is joy at the heart of who God is, he wants it to be at the heart of who you are too, and he has really made it possible for you in the gospel, for this to be a main characteristic of your life, even for bitter, hurried and worried Uh, depressed, anxious, curmudgeonly Presbyterians like us. Joy really is possible because of the gospel. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, help us as we consider your word. Help us to have a true encounter with you through your son Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just for your own homework there, um, the Old Testament reading that was printed in the bulletin from Psalm 37, there's so many parallels with this uh, passage. We're really not going to talk about those parallels at all, but if you go home and explore those two passages, uh, kind of align them with each other, I think it would be pretty interesting for you. So some homework for the summer. (laughs) Um, Galatians. This is toward the end of the book of Galatians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. It's a book about holiness, largely a book about stamping out a deadly infectious approach to holiness that some were promoting there, um, stamping that out with the true gospel of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So the the Galatians, just a little background, they provoke uh, Paul's ire, his ire, by teaching or at least implying that one really really belonged to God and really belonged to God's people by right living, by doing it right. If you want to belong, you got to do it right first. Specifically, uh, in the book of Galatians, the Gentiles were being required to keep the Mosaic law. They were, they were expected to be circumcised in, in particular, the, the very specific doctrine that was being taught there. Uh, they had to keep the Mosaic law in order to belong. So that the view was that belonging, belonging was a goal. Belonging was a reward. That if you did it right, you could live for this goal or this reward and achieve it or attain it, right? The belonging is out there in front of you. That gets the gospel exactly backwards. And it's really exciting to see how the gospel is exactly the reverse of this. The gospel says that you have been, past tense, once and for all, you have been justified as a gift of God's free grace. That means God considers you righteous. Justification is God looking at you and seeing you with the righteousness of his own son, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ himself, so that you will be accepted in God's sight. The gospel says that you have been justified already as a gift of God's free grace, and that because of the person and work of Jesus, 
the first word, not the goal out there in front of you, not something to be achieved or attained. The first word about you is that you are welcome, that you are accepted, that you belong. The first word about you is that you belong to God and to his people. Your holiness does not precede your belonging. Your holiness does not qualify you for belonging. The reverse is true. Belonging initiates your holiness. Okay? Belonging to God and to his people initiates your holiness. So, <clears throat> what Paul is talking about here is that biblical sanctification. Sanctification, big fancy word for growing in holiness, growing in Christ-likeness, becoming more like Christ, like God himself. Biblical sanctification is how your life changes when you know that you belong. It's not something you do in order to belong, to find that place, to get to that place. It's something that happens to you when you know it, that it's already true as a gift of God's grace. Um, Since that is true, that changes the way that we think about what holiness actually is. So, since it's true that biblical sanctification is how your life changes when you know that you belong to God, then your holiness is also shaped accordingly. Since your salvation is about God having done once for all everything that's necessary to restore you to relationship with him so that you do belong to him and you belong with him, since that relationship, that relational thing has happened, then your holiness will be the holiness of one who belongs to God already, who belongs with God. It's a relational concept again. Um, And really, this is the same thing that holiness is for God himself. Because in all eternity, God is persons belonging mutually to one another. That's the starting point of all things. The Father belongs to the Son, and the Son belongs to the Father in the Holy Spirit. That's what God's holiness is really is. It starts with this belonging. It's relational. So love, then, here, what Paul says when he lists these fruit of the Spirit, which are probably worth contemplating, each one. um, Go home and think about these. Memorize this list if you want, just to think about them uh, whenever you can. Love is really the big deal about Christian holiness. It's the first fruit here listed in in Galatians 5. It's probably all-encompassing in some ways that, uh, that really... We could view all the fruit as love is the chief characteristic, and these things are facets, like it's a joyful love, it's a peaceful love, it's a patient love that is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, It's what Paul talks about everywhere as the primary Christian trait. When he sums up the law, he says it a few places. The law is summed up in this one word, like love, love. It's what Paul says is the summary of, uh, of what it means to live with God. I feel like we've talked quite a bit about love in this series already, the series on the Holy Spirit, and we can't talk at length about each trait listed here. It would be worth doing a whole series, you know, one sermon per fruit of the Spirit. We can't do that, so we're going to focus on the second trait, which is joy. Um, and Alexander Schmemann, he's an Eastern Orthodox writer um, who wrote a book called uh, The Life of the World. Um, He says this, from its very beginning, Christianity has been the proclamation of joy. 
from its very beginning, Christianity has been the proclamation of joy. Of all accusations against Christians, the most terrible one was uttered by Nietzsche when he said that Christians had no joy. So we can think of all kinds of reasons why people are not so joyful, even Christians in the church, why we're not so joyful. We think of lots of reasons, right? We can think of all kinds of alternatives to joy, um, all kinds of uh, opposites to joy, right? There may, may not be just one opposite to joy. We can think of stress or anxiety or worry. Um, these kind of are the alternative or opposite or they kill your joy, right? Uh, the angry pride, despair and depression. These are real things, real reasons why people are not <laughs> joyful. <clears throat> boredom, just boredom. Our, it's our views of our circumstances. So, but the fruit of the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So these things, the stress, the worry, angry pride, despair, boredom, these things really have no place in the life of someone who is walking in the Spirit, who is led by the Spirit, who is living by the Spirit, as Paul says, that we are and we should be doing. Just knowing that doesn't really help. Just knowing that you should be joyful, that's a fruit of the Spirit. So you should exhibit that. That should characterize your life. Just knowing that um, doesn't really help. We need to actually know what it means. Like, what is this joy? And how do we enter into it by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit? Because my guess is you may have prayed for the Spirit's joy to be real to you. I think that's a good prayer. You, you pray to God, I think I'm supposed to be a joyful Christian, but I'm not. Would you teach me your joy? Show me what it means. Give that to me, right? Um, but maybe it's eluded you. If you're anything like me, it's eluded you for long stretches of time at least. <clears throat> or maybe you've never really known this joy, this divine joy, this fruit of the Spirit. Um, here's how I've tended to think of it. Joy is something, this is what goes on in the back of your mind or way down deep inside your heart. Joy is something that you can earn. Joy is something that you have to work yourself up to. Joy is something that you are rewarded with if you really start pulling together the Christian life and doing it right. If you pay your dues, eventually you'll be happy. So, with regard to religion, training really hard, spiritual training and spiritual exercise, practice, discipline, service, ministry. It's these kinds of things that will make for a happy life. You'll discover joy if you do these things well, thoroughly, properly, if you do them right. You'll discover joy. It's out there in front of you as a goal or a reward. We think of spiritual renewal as something that comes after the hard work, after reorganizing everything in order to please God, to live how he wants, after doing it right. Then we achieve spiritual renewal then we'll achieve spiritual fruit. But spiritual renewal happens as a gift up front when you see Jesus, when you see him in a way that makes you new. It's that simple. Spiritual renewal and the joy that we're talking about 
is a gift up front that when, when you see Jesus, it changes you. And it gives you this joy. That's the same vision of Jesus that, uh, that changes you in every way. The, the vision of Jesus that it said that we will have in the new heavens and the new earth when we see him face to face at the end of all things and the beginning of all new things, when we see Jesus, we will be made like him. It's seeing him. That's it. The Bible calls this, this joy then that is the, the spiritual renewal, the fruit of the Spirit, when we have a vision of Jesus Christ, it calls it the joy of salvation, the joy of our salvation. And in fact, the Bible goes so far as to call it, it's the joy of the Lord. Not our joy in the Lord, which is good and fine, but the Bible actually calls it the joy of the Lord, which is to say it's the Lord's own joy. It's the joy that he himself has, that the Lord himself has. So true Christian joy is not the fruit of your strivings in any way whatsoever. True Christian joy is not the fruit of your strivings. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and the Spirit is freely given to you. And that means that anyone can have this joy. It doesn't matter how stressed you are, how worried, how burdened, how depressed, or how bored you are. It doesn't matter your connection to your circumstances. You could be lying in a hospital bed paralyzed, unable to interact with people, unable to interact with the world, unable to do anything, and you can have this joy. You can have it because it's a fruit of the Spirit. Anyone can have spiritual renewal. Anyone can be a spiritual person. It's a matter of having the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one... Very simply, this is why this is true, the Holy Spirit is the one who convinces you of your belonging. Not just your belonging to God, but actually God's belonging to you as well. Your mutual belonging to God. And when you are convinced of that mutual belonging, then you're changed accordingly. The Holy Spirit gives you the joy of the Lord, the Lord's own joy. I'm talking about Jesus Christ himself, the joy of Jesus Christ himself, because he grants you share in the Lord's delighted love of his Father. Uh, James Dunn, he's a commentator on this, he says, he calls the fruit of the Spirit a character sketch of Christ. When you put these nine things together, you have a pretty good picture of what Jesus is like. It's a character sketch of Christ, or J.I. Packer in his book, Keep in Step with the Spirit, a title that arises from our passage, says that this is the profile of Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus, the Son of God, just for one example, is said in Luke 10 to have rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He was rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, and what that looked like for him is that he was praying to his Father, he was celebrating his relationship with his Father. He was celebrating his unique and special relationship, the fact that his father had loved him and given himself to him. He was celebrating his communion with his father and sharing that very relationship with us. That's what's happening in Luke 10 when it says Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. This is very different from us finding joy in our own abilities, the things that we're able to accomplish our circumstances, or even the, the fruits of things like our ministries or our lives. Right? 
Those things can bring you some measure of joy, like the apostles when they returned back to Jesus rejoicing that even the demons had been subject in their name. They had found real power for ministry, right? And Jesus said, yeah, that was, that's great. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have a relationship with God. Rejoice that I'm sharing with you my own relationship with the Father. That's what real joy is. That's what the Lord's own joy is. The Son's joy, Jesus Christ's joy, is deep and full and wide and is as big as the Holy Spirit himself. The Son's joy is as big as the Holy Spirit himself. The risen and ascended Lord Jesus has poured out his Spirit into your heart, the Spirit who is himself the joy of God. He's the communion of God. He's the delighted love that the Father has for the Son and that the Son has for the Father. This is who the Spirit of God is. He is the joy of God personified, if you will. And if Jesus Christ lives in you by his Spirit, then his character sketch, his profile, his life, the Son's life, is being formed in you through his Holy Spirit. His joy isn't something out there in front of you. It's not the goal. It's not the reward for your strivings. It's not something to be arrived at, something to be achieved. God's joy is right there all the time. Fuel for your life with God. Your life for God. You lived for God. It says in Nehemiah chapter 8 that the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't build up strength as a Christian a record of good works, or feeling strong in the Lord. You don't build that up in order to arrive at joy. Joy is your strength. It's your starting place. Because without you lifting a finger, Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to share his relationship with his Father with you. Something you didn't deserve. Something you could never achieve. He did it. He wanted to do it. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the suffering that was necessary to do it. He endured the death that was necessary to reconcile you to God. Not to introduce you to this relationship now. You're in a probationary contract period where if you do it right, God will really accept you and you'll really belong with him. But for you to know God as your father in the same way Jesus does right now. Already. Freely given. Because of the gospel, at any moment, you have full reason for divine joy. Divine joy. With that fruit of the Spirit, then, as your starting point, something that you have access to day or night, through thick or thin, now you can move out in strength, in delighted strength, in your life with God. And I've I've continued to struggle with this over the years. It's automatic for us to revert to this conception of we've got to do it right in order to belong, in order to achieve, in order to get to the promised land of where everything will be all right in our relationship with God, and I'll be a joyful person. I've got to do it right first, right? Automatic that we revert back to that. Struggled with it for years. I think I'm becoming quicker to make the transition. It's not like you just flip the light switch once and for all, and it's on, and it's running in the background, and now you never have to worry about joy again. You've just always got it. Um, it's an awareness of it that needs to be cultivated and you need to return to it with faith. You need to return to Christ with faith 
Um, but I, I automatically act, revert automatically to act as if I'm doing uh, something that will bring me joy. If I, if I do the ministry, I will have joy. Right? I have expectations that if I do the right thing, it'll pay off. I'll reap the benefits of satisfaction with what I've done, with my achievements. Donald Fairbairn says, full people give. Empty people take. Full people give. Empty people take. The reason we so often act manipulatively, the reason we use family and work relationships for our own benefit rather than for the good of others is because somewhere deep within our souls we are empty and we're trying to fill up from other people. And that's a terrible way to live. It's a pitiable way to live. And when I catch myself doing that, all I have to do is remind myself that the joy of the Lord is my strength. He's done everything necessary for me to enjoy his own relationship with his Father. So rather than doing ministry in order to get joy, and this is not just me, all of us are called to do ministry in the church, to live with God and for God, and to help one another grow as Christians in holiness, in real holiness. Rather than doing ministry in order to get joy, we can do ministry because we have been given all joy imaginable and unimaginable. We've been given it. So, happiness. Happiness comes from being convinced of our belonging. Like I said, this is not, there's no aspect in which the Christian life can be lived on autopilot. This is not something you do once now and it carries you through the rest of your week. Your eyes have to be fixed on Christ because the nature of this joy, the nature of this joy, the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit, is ultimately, eternally, divinely, it's one person looking at another and delighting in that relationship. It's the Father looking at the Son and the Son looking at the Father. That's the nature of divine joy. And so our joy, as we participate in that, will be one of looking. It's looking at Jesus. It's deliberate. It's it's conscious. It's life-changing because our eyes are fixed through faith on Jesus Christ. So that kind of happiness, that kind of uh, joy comes from the awareness of the Father's love for us in Christ. It comes from knowing that we belong to God and that he belongs to us, which is the salvation that we celebrate and the salvation that we proclaim in our ministries. Every ministry that is a real ministry in the church is one of celebration and proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know what that joy is, you need to know it. You need to pray to God to reveal it to you. Maybe you need to come talk to me about it. You need to know it. And when you do, that joy, the joy of the Lord, will be the fuel for your celebratory proclamation. Uh, C.S. Lewis has um, a great little passage on this in his reflection on the Psalms. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Again, that goes to the nature of what this joy really is. It's one divine person looking at another divine person And not just enjoying, but praising. 
That's the fullness of the joy, right? So the one who has the fruit of joy cannot help but praise Jesus Christ. You can't help it. If you have this joy, you cannot help it. And it's not just a joy for myself. Christian joy is by nature shared. And um, so let me close with a quote from Augustine, his confessions. His confessions were um, written in the style of a prayer to God. He says, you have thrilled us by causing us to delight in your praise. You've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Our hearts have found rest in God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ. And so we delight to praise him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we know that we uh, often neglect you. Um, Even those of us who have been Christians for many years, we neglect the thought of you. Or when we turn to the thought of you, it is with um, the presupposition that we've got to change things in our lives in order to make you truly happy with us, in order to discover the joy of a relationship with you. But um, those, are, those are lies that we tell ourselves. Those are lies that the devil tells us, and we want to be free of them. Would you help us make the gospel clear to us? That we would know once and for all that you have done everything necessary to restore us to a relationship with you that is characterized by love and joy, and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. Because we do um, instinctively pursue joy, and we do it wrongly when we pursue it apart from you. We don't even want to pursue joy in itself. We want to pursue you. And in doing so, as uh, you are freely given to us in the gospel and through your Holy Spirit, we pray that we would discover the joy of the Lord already upon us, already within us, and that it would be our strength for life in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.